Happy Sunday, family. Thanks for being with us once again. We're so excited that you're here, especially Fig. I mean, he is literally radiating enthusiasm and excitement for this Sunday because we are beginning a new collection of sermons that's going to take us deeper into the heart of God for us in this season. Are you ready? Amen. I'm ready too. I think many times throughout our lives, we find ourselves in seasons of hardship, of trial, of difficulty, of heartbreaks and disappointments, of impossible circumstances. And we have many names for this, don't we? We call it the storm, or we call it the fire. We call it the valley or the wilderness or the trial. But I think the beautiful thing about the gospel is that Jesus refuses to leave us in those hard places, in the difficulty, in the trial, in the storm. And I think two of the most encouraging words that we find all throughout Scripture are these two words. But God. But God. Now, as a children's pastor, but was one of the most irritating words that I've ever heard in my entire life. Now, clean up your table. But Philip didn't have to clean up his table. Share your snacks. But Annie got to finish her snacks on her own. But, but, but. But in the context of the Bible, but. It's such a powerful word. By very definition, the word but is a conjunction that introduces a phrase contrasting what was shared before. And so for every valley, there is a but God waiting to lead us into an oasis. For every storm, there is a but God waiting to lead us into paradise. And we see it all throughout scripture. Joseph was beaten, sold as a slave, falsely accused and imprisoned, but God elevates him to the top of his kingdom. The Israelites were small and outnumbered, but God gave them victory over their enemies. King Saul was pursuing David, trying to kill him, but God establishes a new reign and a new kingdom under King David. One of my favorite worship leaders says the story isn't over. If the story isn't good. And I think in every one of our stories, even when there is no end in sight to the trial, no end in sight to the pain, we can trust that there is a but God waiting for us down the line to lead us out. The beautiful thing about but God is it acknowledges the narrative before but it also creates a new narrative moving forward. In other words, God acknowledges the pain and the difficulty of what we're going through. He meets us in that very place, but the beautiful thing is, and we have to remember, he refuses to leave us there. And I think it's so easy to focus on the story before God instead of following God into the story after. I think you don't need me to tell you that right now is a very difficult time. Right now, there's pain, there's brokenness, and there's despair all around us. But I think the God, I think the God that we follow, the God that we serve, wants us to know that there is a but God for everything that we're experiencing right now. And that he has a new narrative, a new story that he's longing to lead us into. You know, this past week was a really, really hard week for me. For some reason, I woke up a few days ago just feeling so discouraged and so tired. And you know, if you know anything about me, I'm an Enneagram type 7. You know, our core motivation in life, get this, is to avoid pain at all costs. 
Our biggest fear is to be trapped in a cycle of pain, unable to escape. And so we often mask our negative experiences with positivity, with optimism. And that's so true for me. I mean, even recently, I was looking on my Facebook and a post that I'd posted a few years back popped up when my car had got broken into. And I remember reading this post and I said, wow, that is stereotypical. That is the definition of an Enneagram Type 7. I wrote something to the likes of, man, my car got broken into, really sucks. The, the person who broke into my car stole some change from my glove department, stole some of my CDs, one of which was my first album, PTL. But you know what? I have hope that they're going to listen to that CD Listen to PTL, get blessed, get encouraged, and meet God and change and turn their lives around. I was like, wow, that's such a type 7 thing to say, and that's so true. People often say, I have rose-colored glasses, that I can see the optimistic side, the positive side of any negative. But I remember waking up this morning, this week, just unable to see positive unable to tap into my optimistic self, so tired. And I was so confused because I shouldn't have been tired. The night before, I got 10 hours of sleep. I hadn't done much the night before, the day before. But for some reason, I woke up tired and I realized I'm not physically tired, but I'm tired on the inside. I realized, man, I'm so tired from having to process everything that's going on in our world. I'm so tired from seeing people on social media argue and pitted against one another. I'm so tired of not being able to see my church community face to face. I'm tired of this pandemic. Man, I'm tired of video editing and having to record a sermon in front of this camera. I swear the last two weeks I spent five hours each week on the sermon because I kept messing up. And so I'm so tired of bad news. I'm so tired on the inside. And maybe many of you can resonate with me that you are tired on the inside. You are weary. And I think there's a kind of fatigue that attacks the body. And it happens when we stay up late and have to wake up early. It happens when we're running off fumes of coffee and energy drinks. It happens when we don't exercise and we eat junk food. But I think there's another, another kind of fatigue that doesn't just attack the body, but it attacks the soul. When there's so much that we're processing in our minds when we're trying to manage all the emotions, the complex emotions that we're feeling throughout the week, when we're constantly bombarded by things on social media, when we're overwhelmed by the circumstances of life. And I get a sense that in this season, so many of us aren't just tired physically, but we're tired on the inside. And not only are we tired, but we're tired of being tired. Come on, can I get an amen? And we're tired of worrying about our work situation. We're tired of seeing injustice continue to prevail. We're tired of this pandemic. But here's the thing about soul fatigue. I think it's often hard to diagnose. You see, when you run a marathon, your body lets you know when it's finished. I mean, case in point, when I ran my last and my only marathon in 2018, at the end of it, my body literally shut down. I, I turned into a blob of slime glued onto my couch, and I could not lift any of my limbs. My body told me that I was done. But I think oftentimes it's hard for us to gauge the health of our souls. And the danger is that we unknowingly run ourselves into the ground, not realizing that our souls are weary and tired and that they need rest. We have to take time to stop amidst the busyness of our lives and ask ourselves, how am I really doing? 
How is my soul doing? Am I tired? Am I weary? Am I burned out? And today, I have a very simple message for us, but one that I think is needed for so many of us right now. And it's simply this. Jesus meets us in the middle of our weariness, and he comes to give us rest. In other words, I'm so tired, but God, come on, let's pray. God, we pray that you would meet us here right now. And maybe I'm just speaking for myself or speaking for a few, but so many of us are tired and we're weary, God. And nothing is giving us the rest that we need. Nothing that we turn to is resting our souls. And we confess that we are weary and a tired people need you. We need our but God right now. And so would you come and meet us in our tiredness, in our weariness? Would you come and bring life? Would you come and give us rest? We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today we're just focusing on one story in Scripture. We find it in John 4. It's the story with Jesus encountering the Samaritan woman at the well. And so we're going to dive deeper into this story today. If you open up to John 4, 1, this is how it starts. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. And so we find Jesus in the middle of his ministry. He's leaving Judea and he's on his way to Galilee. And this is where it picks up in verse 4. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. I want us to pay attention to that first sentence. He had to go through Samaria. The fact is, he actually didn't have to go through Samaria. In fact, most people didn't. In fact, Jews would try to avoid Samaria at all costs. If you remember back then, there was tension between Jews and Samaritans because Jews viewed Samaritans as second-class citizens. And so they would try to avoid Samaria at all costs. I mean, the, the best way that I could liken it to is that it's the equivalent of a more privileged people that are unwilling to go into the rough neighborhoods to get to where they're going. Does that sound familiar? And so these Jews would take what was supposed to be a three-day journey and turn it into a six-day journey just to avoid Samaria. But here it says Jesus had to go through Samaria. What does this show us? This causes us to ask ourselves this question. What are you working around that God actually wants you to work through? What are the things that you're avoiding, that you're afraid to confront? You know, maybe some of us need to confront the fact that I am not okay, that I need help, that I need community, I need Jesus, that I am worn out, that I am tired, that I cannot go on this way. Maybe some of us need to confront our unhealthy work-life balance, and instead of working around it, we actually need to face it head-on and work through it. Maybe some of us need to to confront our unhealthy relationship with social media. And we need to confront the fact that it is killing us and destroying us from the inside. And instead of working around it, we need to work through it. 
I remember there was a season when I first started serving as a pastor. I think it was in 2012 or 2013. And I was so busy. I mean, we had three services running. I cannot imagine doing three services, but we had three services. We had midweek prayer. We had community group. We had staff meetings every day. We had so many things going on. And I found myself getting so burned out and so tired, but I refused to stop and confront the fact that I was burning out. I kept telling myself, I'm not the type of pastor that burns out. This is all for Jesus. This is what I'm supposed to do. And I remember one day that Jesus sat me down and forced me to confront my Samaria. He said, Mickey, I need you to stop. You're unwilling to face the reality that you are burning yourself and running yourself into the ground. And he told me this, you're more concerned with doing things for me than being with me. Ooh, and I was so hurt and so convicted. I was like, that's so true. And I remember Jesus saying, you know what? Lovers will always outwork workers. And right now, you're posturing yourself as a worker instead of a lover. And I remember being so convicted, so sad that I was unwilling to face and to confront the truth that my posture, I was doing so many things, but my posture, my heart was in the wrong place. And I was so concerned with doing things for Jesus instead of being with him. And he had to stop me and say, listen, you can't avoid Samaria anymore. You need to go through it. And I love that we follow a savior who was willing to face head on all the things that we work so hard to work around. And I think some of us need to walk through Samaria right now. Some of us need to confront our weariness. Some of us need to confront the things that are making our souls weary, the life patterns, the ways that we're living that is causing us to be so tired and so restless. Some of us need to confront our depression, our grief, our hopelessness, our anger and our frustration. Some of us need to confront our Samaria. Now, what's interesting about where Jesus was going to in Samaria, he was going to this place called Sikar. Get this, which translates as end. And I wonder if there are some of us here right now that are at the end of our ropes, that are at the end of our strength, at the end of our hope, at the end of our waiting. But here's the beautiful thing. Jesus is waiting for us there. He's there at the end of our strength. He's there at the end of our hope. He's there at the end of our rope. And he wants to meet us in that very place. So God wants us to go through Samaria. He wants us to confront our tiredness, our weariness, and the things that are causing us to be so tired. Verse 6. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, it was about noon. Listen, when I look at this verse, I think one of the most comforting things that I read is this. Jesus was tired. He was tired. That Jesus got tired. He got weary too. And I think in the church, we love to sing about victorious Jesus and almighty Jesus and powerful Jesus. But we often forget about tired Jesus. Even as we learned in the last sermon series about thirsty Jesus, about human Jesus. I was having an interesting conversation with a friend this week about how Western Christianity has been so influenced by privilege 
I mean, if you look at the majority of the songs of the books and the sermons that we consume, most of them were prepared and created by white people. And there's nothing wrong with that. Those are powerful declarations. Those are powerful songs. But I believe there's another side of God that we so rarely tap into because Western Christianity has been so influenced by privilege. And so we hear a lot about victory, about triumph and glory. And we hear again and again, we're more than conquerors because literally the narrative that we're fed is that, yeah, we are more than conquerors. And this is why we have positive, encouraging Caleb. This is why we have so many uplifting and victorious moments in the church. But my friend was saying how the early church was influenced not by privilege, but by struggle. They were the oppressed. They were the outcasted. They were the persecuted. They were the ones at the bottom of the barrel. And Western Christianity, we find, doesn't have a lot to say about tired Jesus, the Jesus who understood the struggle, the Jesus who wept, the Jesus that lamented, the Jesus that was angry. And I think this is why people of color need to write songs that we sing in the church. This is why we need to create space to give voice to people of color because we have a vantage point that's different from mainstream Christianity in the Western church. And so we find that there is a tired Jesus here. And that's comforting for us because he understands what we're going through. In other words, we worship a God who's powerful enough to give us strength, but human enough to meet us and be tired with us in that very place. And yes, there is a but God for our weariness and our tiredness. But before that, he meets us where we're at. He meets us in our weariness and says, I understand. I've been tired before too. I've been weary before too. I've been right where you're at. We find a Jesus who is tired, who sits at the well. But here's where we have to, shame, we have to change our perspective about this. See, just because you're tired, just because you're weary, doesn't mean you're weak. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Yo, we are so bad at this. I mean, how often do we celebrate our weaknesses? He says he delights in his weaknesses. Why? Because when he is weak, then he is truly strong. Listen, the end of your rope is the beginning of God's way. The end of your strength is the beginning of God's strength. When we are weak, we tap into a strength that can come from no other place but God. And I wonder how many of us have never tapped into that grace of God because we've never been at the end of our rope. We've never been at the end of our strength saying, God, I need you. This is where God's true strength comes through. And so Jesus meets us in our weariness. He's lived it. He's experienced it. And he meets us there. And he knows how to lead us out. If we go on to verse 13, 
We're going to skip forward a little bit. Jesus has this interaction with the Samaritan woman. And Jesus answers her. He says this, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Church, the question that I want to ask you is this. Where do you go when you're tired? What well do you sit at when you're weary? I find that we cannot solve soul fatigue with external solutions. You know, one thing I never understood is weighted blankets. I mean, Justin loves it. And there's these really, really heavy blankets that literally traps you in a cocoon of your bed. It becomes like a, a burial ground. I mean, I, I don't understand it. For me, even when I'm sleeping, I need my legs to poke out of the blanket. Anyone resonate with me? Come on, give me an amen. If not, y'all need Jesus. But I just cannot imagine being trapped. But scientifically, they've proven that with a weighted blanket, you actually get a deeper experience of rest. But even something as effective as a weighted blanket cannot solve the problem of your soul's weariness and your soul's fatigue. In other words, only water for the soul can quench the soul's thirst. And what I want to propose is that a lot of the wells that we've been going to are actually making us more and more thirsty. A lot of the places that we're sitting at in our weariness is actually making us more and more tired. And if you remember the story, the Samaritan woman was trying to solve her soul problems with more and more partners. She had had five husbands, and the next one that she was with wasn't even her husband. And she had been trying to solve her soul's weariness, her soul's tiredness and fatigue with things that were not meant to quench the the thirst of her soul. And maybe we're trying to self-medicate with escapism through TV shows and video games and social medias. Maybe we're trying to deal with our soul fatigue with earthly self-help when really the only solution for our soul's weariness is Jesus, is the living water. And maybe the key to rest isn't inactivity, but the right activity. If anything, this pandemic is showing us that weariness isn't necessarily a result of busyness, but of disordered priorities. But Jesus is saying, I have water that will quench the thirst that you have inside of you. I have rest that your soul can finally enter into. That's so different from the tiredness, the burden and weariness of the world. I have rest that your soul desperately needs. Will you sit with him for a little while? Do you have a place where you can go, a well that you can run to, where you are nothing more than a child? A place with no deadlines or due dates? A place where you're not an employee? A place where you're not an activist? A place where you're not the glue that holds your family together? A place where you're not desperately trying to figure out what's next? A place where you're just you? A place with no responsibilities, no agendas. Just sitting with Jesus as a child of God. I remember when I was in college, whenever I would go home, 
It was pretty great because in college, college Mickey had a lot of responsibilities. He wore a lot of hats. He was a student, and then he was a church leader. He was a small group leader, a discipleship leader. He was a worship leader. He was a children's leader. There's a lot of things that I wore in college, but I remember when I went home, it was so refreshing because I got to take everything off. When I came home, I wasn't a pastor anymore. When I came home, I wasn't a leader anymore. When I came home, I wasn't a student anymore. When I came home, I was simply a son. And I think many of us haven't been home for so long. We haven't gone to that place where we're sitting at the well. We're saying, you know what? I'm laying all my burdens down. I'm laying all my responsibilities down. I'm laying all my hats, all my identities down. And right now, I'm just a child in the presence of my father with my best friend, Jesus. I'm here and I can just rest. I can just be. Here's what happens when we sit with Jesus, even if it's just for a moment. The prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 40, 30 to 31 writes, even youths grow tired and weary And young men stumble and fall. But those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Those who wait on the Lord find their strength renewed. In other words, Jesus takes our burden of weariness and gives us rest the true portion that we were meant for. And here's the thing anyone can start a race but few actually finish it. And I think Jesus is less concerned with us getting through this season, just scraping on by than he is with teaching us about how to run and not grow weary, how we can continue to run the race before us, but find renewed strength as we're going. What if Jesus is using this season to teach us something? He's teaching us how to live in the rhythms of his rest. That in the midst of, of everything going on around us, we can find rest and renew our strength in him. In other words, be tapped into the source that keeps us running to the very end. Because the truth is, right now, church, we cannot afford to disengage. We cannot afford to disengage with our fight for justice. We cannot afford to disengage being a voice to the world. We cannot disengage for taking action We have to continue engaging. See, the goal is not to disengage from the world, but to engage with the one who has overcome it, to sit at the well with the one who has experienced it all, to receive the rest of the one who has shouldered its burden and to allow his strength to be renewed within us. Psalm 73, 25 through 26, the psalmist writes, Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Come on, how many of you, your strength and your heart is failing right now? I want you to know something. Our strength And our hearts are failing us. But God is our strength. The strength of our hearts and our portion forever. The question is, will you go to Samaria and will you sit at that well with him to receive his rest? 
I want us to be able to look back on the season and say, I was so, so tired and so weary. There's so much going on. But God came and renewed my strength day by day, moment by moment. I tell you what, church, as tired as I was this week, that day I had to prepare my sermon. And I remember just taking 10 minutes. I said, before I start on my sermon, I'm going to sit down. I'm just going to sit with Jesus. I'm not going to be pastor. I'm not going to be responsible for doing this sermon. I'm just going to sit with Jesus and receive. I remember just taking 10 minutes, nothing in the day, and just sitting with him and being so renewed. I didn't even say anything. I just literally, I did imaginative prayer. Jesus, my homie, sitting next to me on the couch, just sitting together in silence. But I felt my strength renewed. And so this week, church, no grand action plan, no gimmicks, no bells or whistles, just simply an invitation. Matthew 11, famous verse. I think I say this verse, quote this verse like five times a year. But I think this is the invitation of Jesus to us today. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Will you sit with him for a little while? Will you lay your burdens down? Will you receive his life and his rest? Because I believe that this, this moment right now, this week, is that but God moment that we desperately need for our tiredness and our weariness. And so I want to invite you, church, even right now, why don't we close our eyes? I just hear the voice of Jesus inviting us, saying, listen, I know you've tried it your way. I know that you've tried pursuing these other things. I know that you're trying your best, but we both know, who are we kidding ourselves? It's not enough. But come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Right now, I believe God wants you to take your weariness and place it before him, to place your tiredness before him, to place everything that you're feeling, your soul's fatigue, and place it before him. And I see him giving us in place a portion of life, a portion of strength, a portion of his rest. And I believe today, God wants to renew your strength. But will you come to the well? Will you come to Samaria? Will you sit with him? Right now, God, we choose to sit with you. Right now, would you renew our strength? Right now, would you pour out your life and your rest upon us? Right now, we surrender to you our heavy burdens. We surrender to you our weary hearts. We surrender to you our tiredness. And we confess we need living water. We need rest that this world cannot give us. God, we need you. And so we receive you this morning. We receive your rest. We receive your life. Come on, I just feel like some of you, this is the word of the Lord for you right now. I hear God saying, you can lay down your swords. 
You could lay down your swords because I've already won the battle. And maybe the key for you fighting the season isn't for you to pick up that sword and march, but it's for you to trust that I have won the battle. I hear so, so many of you, I just hear Jesus saying, lay down your swords, come to me. Come on, right now, God, would you renew strength? God, would you make us a people that is so full of strength, so full of life, that we don't need to escape our world, but we can be a light in the world because we found our source. We found our rest in you. We thank you, God. We love you. We honor you. And in Jesus' mighty name, we pray. We say, amen.